This is a music review and it's the third album released by Kate Bush, the English singer-songwriter. Its title is Never Forever and uh, was released in September 1980. Now, just a brief sort of uh, history really. Um, firstly, myself, I have to confess that when she arrived on the pop music scene, uh, in all her splendour on Top of the Pops, and she had a series of hits, I found it all rather unappealing. Um, I'd sort of uh, closeted her as a sort of uh, a gimmick type uh, artist uh, that was basically going blown away. And uh, her high-pitched singing uh, just didn't go down that well with me. And so I didn't really uh, do her justice. I didn't really listen to her. And uh, the early albums, of which this is one of them, I really gave scant listening to. Uh, and I've lived to regret that because in later uh, years I've become intoxicated with her work uh, with particular reference to uh, Ariel and 30 Words of Snow. I've probably got the title of that wrong as well. 40 Words of Snow. Anyway, um, let's go to Kate now. Um, she was born in 1958. I got that just at the right. She's 62 years of age now. Uh, in Kent in the UK. Her parents, had, her father was a doctor uh, and her mother uh, was a nurse. They're both passed on now. Uh, and uh, um, she uh, basically uh, had elder brothers too, John Paddy. Um, they came from an artistic background and her mother was also a, a dancer, an amateur dancer, but her father was an amateur pianist uh, and uh, that's where her musical interests uh, were born. Um, and uh, uh, she then um, launched her uh, interest in music uh, when she started to learn the piano at 11 years of age. She also played the organ uh, in a barn behind her parents' house and studied the violin. And she then started to compose uh, songs. And so we get to uh, her time at uh, grammar school and she was now, um, let's see, 17 years of age, uh, maybe a bit younger, at a Catholic school and uh, she became more inter interested in music there. Following her production of a sort of demo tape with over 50 compositions written by Kay, um, she was turned down by record labels, but one uh, man who was impressed with her work was the guitarist with Pink Floyd, David Gilmore, and he passed it on to uh, a friend of his who uh, had some sort of uh, kudos in the music inst industry, and uh, 
he assisted uh, the 16-year-old Bush uh, to record in a more professional setting. And, and uh, he also paid for the um, studio time. And Andrew Powell, Gilbert's friend, uh, he produced the record uh, and he later produced the first two albums. And uh, um, when the tape was sent to EMI, their executive uh, decided uh, to sign her. And so uh, this launched her career. Um, of course, at that particular time, progressive rock was the uh, music that was very popular at the time. Uh, and uh, Kate's work was considered a, a, a little bit experimental and so she got sort of put into that bag um, uh, and in 1978 um, at the uh, tender age of 20, what, let's see, 20, 20 years of age, yep, um, she uh, produced her first record, her debut album, The Kick Inside, um, and uh, 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 I'm not going to go into that particular album other, other than to say that um, it sold over a million copies after uh, a single from it, Wuthering Heights, topped the UK charts. And uh, then a little later, uh, in the same year, out popped the second album, Lionheart. Um, and more about that at the moment. But the album I want to look at is the third album. Uh, and uh, I, I only, to be perfectly frank, I only listened to this for the very first time uh, a matter of months ago, uh, in 1980, Never Forever. I was familiar with the uh, famous single Babushka, uh, but other than that, uh, I, I don't know much about this. So my review is very much raw, and I will move on to it now. So to Babushka, the first track on Never Forever. This is a absolutely huge single. I actually just watched the video the other day for the first time. It shows Kate with a life-size cello and she's transformed into an erotic, sizzling, mystical sex kitten to represent the story of a wife trying to deceive her hubby with a false admirer and alternatively meaning to rekindle a relationship on the wane. Musically, it's got a strident piano lead uh, at the intro and is March-like with Kate's verbal acrobatic style linking with assorted percussions and tenor backing vocal harmonies. It's a test of fidelity uh, lyrically and durability in love, but it's an absolutely magical sound. Next up is Deus, supposed to be a god of the sun and refers to the ancient world. In Kate's video, she's a white swan gaining power from the sun, uh, a song for summer uh, segues in musically from uh, the first track and it's got a teasing dreamy maraca driven rhythm and these theatrically uh, uh, tenors 
male tenors uh, complimenting Kate's high range. It's a wonderful sound. The sound floats with the piano offering both rhythm and a choral feel. Track three's blown away. This apparently is dedicated to uh, her son Billy. It's got a mix of choir-like harmonies moulded with Kate's extravagance. Classically inspired pop, it isn't, but labelling Kate's genre is very difficult. Strings are more, more prominent here, creating an atmospheric fairy tale feeling. The lyric, well, it's a gift of sound to your child, I believe. A message about positivity, and positivity happens after uh, a death. Apparently, her lighting director, Bill Duffield, was killed in a, a road traffic accident uh, at the time she was touring in 1971, and she wrote this song for him. Track four is all we ever look for. It, it took me to a courtyard, a jester in the Middle Ages when I was listening to this, complete with loot. This is the imagery uh, that I gathered from listening to this, from this song, All We Ever Look For. Uh, it's another dip into the fantasy world. There's a harpsichord in there, or at least synthesized harpsichord, and the flutes mixed with piano and strings. And yes, I also heard a clarinet, but of course it may be a synth uh, version. The arrangements are wonderful, very English, and lots of sound effects, doors opening, persons walking, children's storytelling. It's a marriage of Western and Eastern musical influences, I think. Lyrically, it's about the power of a family and its security and finding that elusive purpose in life. Note the fairy tale voices in Okay, track five's Egypt. There's a conglomeration of sounds with Kate at the helm. She's a bit like a conductor. The music builds into a rhythmic cascade, a complex melting pot of instrumentation. Jazz enthusiasts note Max Middleton is on Mini Moog analog synthesizer on this track and I remember him on Beck's Blow by Blow five years earlier. Lyrically it's about the love of traveling to an ancient land. Kate remarked uh, the song uh, about the song as people see only what they want to see. Seeing the sun but not the pollution. The Taj Mahal and not Cairo's homeless. Kate's fairy tale vocals trickle from the track. There's a reference to a psaltery featured, and I found out that that's a small harp. Musically, it's in the same prog rap family as Yes and Genesis, although to a much lesser degree, it's much mellower than them. So into side two then, the wedding list. Uh, it skips in March-like, bit mischievous, with jaunty vocals that segues into a dreamy phase before recycling the early beat, which has a punch to it. But it's in strings, uh, and it's got a musical soar in there. It's uh, a wedding march, goddammit. Uh, Kate referred to the influence of Truffaut's 1968 film The Bride Wore Black as an inspiration for this track. Um, in that, the groom is murdered as a bride reaps revenge. Lovely. So to track seven, violin. An up-tempo rock song for a change. 
but it's got some chaotic violin solos with Kate's vocals accompanying him. Violin rock, maybe. Some rare lead guitar in the middle, and the vocals uh, sound almost like Banshees. Susie and the Banshees. Uh, it's got a female spirit to it. Uh, breathes of folklore to me. Lyric, uh, it's an, simply an acknowledgement to the violin maestros and the energy that they created. So to track eight then, the infant kiss. It starts off with some haunting classical piano, which tips in again with those dreamy strings and Kate's piano at the forefront. The, uh, the strings quiver uh, somewhat and the background vocals stab in and out hauntingly and a choir-like outro as well. Uh, on Kate's website, I can thoroughly recommend, it's called uh, Kate Bush Encyclopedia. She uh, interprets all, all of her songs. And here she says she was inspired by the movie The Innocents, which is a tale about a governess who is torn between the man and the child in the same body. Wouldn't you imagine it? So to Night Scented Stock, which also segues into Army Dreamers, uh, the first being a basic short instrumental. Army Dreamers, well, this was a huge successful single. And the video again tells the story. We see Kate in khaki uniform with weapon in the jungle in a war zone. And Kate then with a young child in a dream sequence representing her urge to find him. It's a musically haunting choral-like vocal uh, delivery, eerie and mood-driven. Uh, uh, and there's a heart that tiptoes, a synthesised heart that tiptoes with Kate's juxtaposed vocals knitted with harmonies linked to the beat. It's, for me though, it still provoke, provokes uh, medieval folklore feelings. I'm obsessed with that. The acoustic guitar is very delicate here. Uh, I, I thought I heard some mandolin and Vodron were uh, present. Uh, lyrically, well, pointedly, it's a confession of the failure to protect the child who's become the man and is then killed in action. And overpowering guilt. Okay, so we've reached the final track then. This is called Breathing. It was another huge hit for Kate. It's a dramatic closer with military drum rolls and strident piano leads into a sumptuous melody with resonating bass. The song builds slowly with more arrangements added. Uh, there's a bit of a spoken word included as well. A news bulletin uh, closes it out with pulsating bass and a crashing uh, full sound of the band drives you to the finish. There's some nice piano by Middleton on this as well. Lyrically, um, the fetus aware of happenings outside the womb uh, as a nuclear attack takes place. Uh, there's a metaphor linked to nicotine use and the impact on the fetus. Uh, Kate claims the song was inspired in part by uh, Floyd's The Wall. The video shows Kate in a bubble in a nuclear shelter and the necessity of breathing and then the explosion from the blinding light flash and the post-apocalyptic destruction wading through contaminated water. She doesn't leave you in any 
doubt as to what she's talking about on this track. So to summarise this then, uh, this was the first Kate Bush album which I've really analysed thoroughly and researched into the interpretations. It's been a very rewarding process. It's been uh, uh, increased my understanding and appreciation of the artist. And this is a fascinating piece of work put together by an artist who, who absolutely needs uh, to have passion uh, to uh, do her work. may have something to do with the long gaps uh, between her early work and Ariel, although she was, uh, to be fair, uh, committed to uh, bringing up a family. Uh, repeated listens are absolutely essential to maximise enjoyment on this, and I hope you thoroughly enjoy uh, seeking it out. It's called Never Forever. It was released in 1980, and it's by Kate Bush. <laughs>